because it's hot on here. Welcome, everyone, to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hi, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to our podcast, Ride the Elephant Podcast. Uh, with me today, I have uh, my guest, Brian McKinley. He's my son. And Brian and I have been talking the last couple co- podcasts about um, victimhood and the victimhood mindset. We started with uh, uh, dealing with personal responsibility. And, you know, Brian, you know, as we talked about this last time around blaming and excuse making, um, what is it about personal responsibility? Why do you think it's so hard for us to take personal responsibility? You might mess up, you might get hurt, you might look bad to your friends. It's sometimes easier to try and escape under an excuse or to hide behind blame or other red behaviors. Um, Can you give me an example of a person with a victim mindset? Or can you think of someone with a person with a victim mindset versus a person that is maybe has been victimized and doesn't have a victim mindset. What's the difference between the two? The one with the victim mindset, the one without a victim mindset. Okay. So I would be cautious about giving, I could think of a couple specific examples and be cautious about talking about them out loud. So I'll just talk about me. Okay. I am very familiar with this. Like excuse making and like blame. Uh, These are familiar to me because I am a perpetrator. Victimhood is especially difficult for me uh, because it's more visceral. It's more real. And I really do feel uh, like a victim uh, of certain circumstances in my life. And I think a lot of people can understand that, whether it was an illness, uh, the loss of a parent, an abusive parent, an abusive partner, uh, a bad experience in the in the community, like a church, you know, like having a bad experience at school or with a teacher, you know, that those issues linger. You're a victim of something that what this person did or what this person said. So it's like you put personal responsibility and blame so so if, if there's a personal responsibility continuum what you're saying here is that on one end is personal responsibility that would be the ideal goal that's what a person of character or a leader behaves that's their principle of behavior is to take personal responsibility in everything that happens and the way i see victimhood is everybody has moments in their life where they become a they're victimized by someone else even really tall like Shaq you know you could be really tall really strong really intimidating and just an all-around good person and even even he probably has stories in his life where he felt like he was a victim you know I think everybody deals with this 
And it's like, uh, when, when something happens, there's the initial response. And then there's the long-term response. That's what, I wanna, that's what I want to talk about is that long-term response, Brian, because I think what happens is you threw out four words, four different components of the victim mindset. And we oftentimes do that. We oftentimes conflate what the, our meaning is or the N4 for the different four components. So I think if we're ever going to really wrestle with why we find ourselves in a victim mindset or why a friend of ours or a family member of ours finds themselves in a victim mindset. Unless we break down the four components, we're going to have a difficult time understanding that. So I want to identify those four components here for a minute just so we're all clear and then we can bring some clarity and some action steps that might need to take place in order for the victim mindset to be mitigated. The first one is, as you said it, being the victim. See, the victim is a person who was assaulted, could have been raped, could have been actually killed, convicted, been bullied. It's a person who's experienced a horrible situation. And like you said, all of us have experienced horrible situations in our life. It could be an accident, or it could be, actually, it could be intentionally done to you by another person. We all have uh, have been victims in some way. None of us go through life unscathed. Brian, do you have an example or a thought about being the victim, victimization in a victimhood state? Yeah, I have a, I, I know somebody in particular where this, uh, it comes up and it just kind of keeps coming up. Like every time I visit with that person and, uh, there's a, it gets reiterated almost every time, um, that something that I would internalize and maybe other people would internalize, uh, gets put on the table as, as kind of like, this is who I am. And I really disagree with that person. I think that that person is actually more lovely and courageous than they give themselves credit for. And they're constantly focusing on, um, their feelings of anger uh, and and their kind of justification for having this bad attitude about this, that, and the other thing because I, this happened to um, my, my mother, this happened to my sister, and I'm going through problems and these people close to me don't understand and these people close to me are just only care about themselves and nobody, you know, loves me. I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't say that, but nobody cares about what I'm going through. And I think that that's just not healthy. It's unproductive. And, and in this particular case, it's, it's untrue. There are people who are there to support this person, 
but it's very important for this person for whatever reason to be seen by everybody as uh, a victim so i definitely see the difference there the person that wants to be seen as a victim and doesn't do anything to mitigate it and doesn't do anything to change it doesn't do anything to really create a different experience or going back and looking at the experience in a different way is what I call the perpetual victim. And that's what you're describing. The perpetual victim is this fourth layer of victim, the victim uh, mindset. And it's those who continue to carry around their victimized mindset for years. They lament their victimization day in and day out, year after year. As you said, they, they keep justifying it over and over and over. Now, sometimes, and I'm not sure about the person you're talking about, but sometimes they hide them in the closet so no one else can see them. I'm in that category. Hmm. In, a, in a lot of my relationships, I do feel like I'm in that closeted victim category. Tell me more about that. Well, in certain relationships, I feel like there's an openness, and it takes a while sometimes, but there's an openness where I can be just trying to be authentic about how I feel. I mean, I know that you have felt like a victim at certain points and other people that you know felt like a victim. Yeah. How long did it take? How long did it take for you? Well, it took me, once I recognized I was being one, uh, that was about the time I was uh, 35 years old, and then it took me... Uh, uh, probably 10 years to really come to terms with it. Oh, I thought this was going to happen to me overnight. I was just going to wake know. up tomorrow and not feel like a victim anymore because I read Ride the Elephant and I listened to the Ride the Elephant Today yeah. podcast. So sometimes it takes a lot longer than... Uh, and uh, uh, sometimes we never figure it out. And that's that's the sad thing. So we end up carrying our bondage to our grave. And uh, that's a sad thing for me. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes some people are different. You know, uh, sometimes they carry around their victimhood. They wear it on their sleeve. They constantly are projecting it onto other people. Uh, they, they want everyone to see it. They want everyone to know it. They want everyone to experience their fury or their lament, their anger. Whatever that emotive feeling is that comes out of their victimization, they lay it out there and let everyone have to deal with it. And uh, that makes it tough. As we said before, some are quiet and some command attention for it in the public square. I find I really gravitate towards people who you don't learn about this kind of thing about them until the sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth time that you had a conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That's really interesting to me where people, uh, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but it's just interesting how people celebrate it and other people, you have to really, really know them closely for a long time to learn those things. You know, whether, whether it's a, uh quiet or loud, uh, perpetual victims are in bondage, Brian, and they have been unable or unwilling to free themselves from that bondage, and they may never free themselves. 
And I asked myself, why is that? Is it because that's their identity? That's who they are? That's their, who they want to be expressed by? Is it the connection they have with their friends that support them in their lament? Are they in codependent relationships that keep them stuck? Sometimes people, it can become their, their cause. They can go to war or emotional war or yeah, maybe even physical war. That's what I was thinking. I think that they, they want justice. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, it. Which is fair. Yeah. They, I want justice. Well, they look for others to agree with their justification, too. When you say they want justice, they get their justice when other people say, I agree. You, are, you, you deserve this. And they support them in their victimization. For me, the people who support the perpetual victim are keeping that victim stuck. They are stifling them and they're not being friends. They're not moving them forward. They're being the worst kind of friend you can be is to keep that keep supporting a person's victimization. Um, and they, and it's this kumbaya relationship. You know, I want you to understand, my victimization you on and then you understand my victimization so now i can be your friend sometimes a person who's a victim who wants other people to understand their victimization and the person says i'm not going to be a part of this game i'm not going to be a part of this this thing you're going through right now this experience that you want me to experience i'm not gonna be a part of that then they don't become friends sometimes sometimes that can cause a friendship to end a relationship to end or distance to occur does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah. So my question is then, how do you empower people in your life? You know, do you have to be, first of all, do you have to be invited in? Uh, yes. I think it's nice to be invited in. And, of course, you don't necessarily have to wait for the invitation. You can ask to be invited in. Uh, one of the things... We- we don't do is we don't ask to be invited in. And the way, we, the way we do that is basically say, you know, I've been really struggling with the situation that we're, that exists in our, our relationship where these things come up and, and it, it just doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't seem like it feels good to you. And our conversations never end well. And uh, we just seem to go away agreeing to disagree and, and, uh, and uh, it just doesn't work. And it's like, here it is again, the elephant in the room, rearing its ugly head, and we're not wanting to talk about it. So by inviting my, yourself into the conversation in a quiet time, not necessarily in a hostile time, a time when there's emotive, emotions going on around it, you know, having this quiet time and saying, you know, can we talk about the effects that this victimization, these feelings you have toward your perpetrator, your perpetrator can we talk about this and have a conversation about this? And and then begin to start breaking that down and dicing it down and figure if we can find a way to mitigate and change the conversation that we're having about this topic and uh, or this presumption that seems to exist around this conversation. And I don't want to be a part of that presumption anymore. So have you ever done brought that up with someone and had them 
not get defensive? I have brought it up to someone and have gotten them defensive. Yes. Almost every time does almost everybody get defensive when you <laughs> almost. And then I realized that I had to find another way. But you know, I was patient when I when they got defensive. When when and I and I couldn't reach them because uh, people tried to do that to me. And I. What do you mean? They tried to invite you me. Said you, they you tried to invite invest- me into a conversation years ago. And how did you respond? Not well. Mind your own, mind your business. Right. You this don't. Is not you your have, business. This is not you your have business. no idea what it's like. You right. have no idea. And I can't tell you the whole story. I, I can't tell you. Why? It's too vulgar for the podcast. Too vulgar for the podcast. It, I can't tell you a story because I was hurt other people. I can't tell you the story because. Uh, People are going to disagree with me. Uh, I can't tell you the story because you're going to think less of me because you, you'll probably think that I could have done more to prevent it. Any number of things get in the way of us having this conversation. However, you know, if you're going to be accusatory as you approach the perpetual victim, you're probably not going to have success. You have to approach him out of love care and concern and a willingness to not have it go the way you would like it to go because it, well, most cases, they might, they're probably possibly still going to be stuck by the end yeah, of the conversation yeah it, even just using the word victim it seems like a lot of people would feel like you're lab oh you're labeling me you think i'm a victim well and the other thing when you use the word victim this is where a lot of people get in trouble when they use the word victim the person says well, i am a victim Right. I was a victim of rape. Right. Okay. Well, you can't deny that. They were a victim. That's how this, I feel. Yeah. Well, this is what's what was so interesting about it. I said something to her the other day. Uh, I said to my brother, I said, you know, I killed, you know, I killed my brother, brother Brian, when I was 10 years old. How do you can't, no one could take that away. And, and, and he looked at me and he says, he was so upset with me for saying that. However, what I had to get him to recognize is there, there was a time in my life where I felt that way. So what I said was true when I was 12 years old. That's a true statement. Is it true now at 70? No, it's not true at 70. It's not a true statement. I don't feel that way. This is the thing that confuses and conflates the issue is we're looking at this victim process based on different time frames. Okay. Okay. So the four the four different phases are over the course of time. Absolutely. So you're saying the victim is in the present. That's the moment yes. when it happened. Yes. And that's the thoughts that you had in the, maybe the, the days and weeks following. Right. And, but speaking of training, Transcendence. Transcendence is almost always going to be a theme here. Yes, it will. Uh, you're challenging your readers and your listeners to transcend that moment. Yes. With the ability to respond, because they have the ability to respond. So they're going to. They have an ability to respond differently than they have in the past. And. You know, Viktor Frankl's book is one of my favorite books. And he talks about, um, it's just called A Man's Search for Meaning. 
And he talks about that. He says, you know, we can lose our liberties. We can, we can be victims, but we never lose our ability to respond. And we have personal responsibility in how we respond to the situation. So at one time, we can be, feel this way, but do we feel this way now? Sometimes when you're helping a victim process out of their victimhood mindset, it's important to go back and identify and relate to them because of your experience from 20, 30, 40 years ago for me. So when I, when I taught this to young people, this concept of victimization, I knew that at this point in time they felt this way. But by telling the story that over time it can change, it would give them hope, courage, faith, trust, that they won't always have to feel this way the rest of their life. Now, they may, but I'm trying to get them to see that they have a choice in the manner. Okay, so we're going to take a break here for a second and get back. We hope you're enjoying today's conversation. Let's pause for a brief commercial break. We hope you're enjoying today's conversation with Dr. Ray McKinley. Ray is aware that the process of refining leadership skills is not quick or easy. He has made himself available to answer questions and bring clarity to issues related to thought leadership. To inquire about speaking at your event, church, school, or business, or for one-on-one coaching, contact him, ray at raymckinley.com. Hey, Doc. Yes. I really want to give the audience some context here for this conversation, kind of how you and I have uh, processed this in recent history. So your journey uh, through transcending your pain and victimization and blame, and it's much longer than mine, but I got to be there for this key ingredient in what we're talking about today. And I would love to give the audience some context for that. So great. You have a longtime friend who will for sure be on the podcast someday. Uh, He's a doctor. He's a practicing psychologist for years, also was a professor who taught this stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And he, in your class that you taught at the high school, you would have guest speakers come in Yes. frequently and yes. speak to the class yes and so he came in and he spoke to the class yes and he's the one who broke down that word responsibility for us and said responsibility is the ability to respond and you know you and i thought that was the coolest thing every time he came in he recommended victor frankel's man's search for meaning which if the audience isn't familiar with you must do a Google, check out Man's Search for Meaning, and brush up on on that book, where it comes from. Uh, it's one of the most important works of literature 
in human history in terms of helping people transcend pain, suffering, blame, being a victim. Yes. So this, what we're talking about today, is just kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of tackling the topic of victimization. And in the future, he will come in and talk about it. Um, so we, we will have a chance to touch on this more, and it'll just keep coming up. Up, keep coming up, keep coming up, because it is so massively important. And um, I, I really think that you know, in 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 a previous episode, we were talking about the moment of getting it, be being a victim, like Don getting in the car crash, mm-hmm. right? And you touched on. Her, her personal responsibility. So yes, she got in the car crash. Yes, she's paralyzed. And that was a moment. That was a tragic moment. But she still has her future. So she can she has the ability to choose to not carry to be the perpetual victim, to carry that victimhood into perpetuity. And she can then make a different choice. Which is what the book Man's Search for Meaning is about. It's about people who were victims and the choices that they made and the ability, their ability to respond to that circumstance and uh, to move from victimhood to personal responsibility. And like you said, what Grant was 56 when he finally started to figure out and it took you the better part of three or four decades to figure it out yes so we should remind our audience that this takes time don't be afraid well it's and if you're feeling a strong reaction right now that's that's normal because <laughs> it is normal because victims feel that strong reaction when you try to encourage them to think of make a different choice right it is and they do and they and they're very resistant as I was very resistant. And so I can be very patient with the resistant person, uh, because I was resistant too. you know, I I think if, if we find ourselves in this perpetual bondage or perpetual victimhood in the bondage of perpetual victimhood, uh, I think there's four things that we can do that we need to do to to mitigate the effect and really change the conversation, change the way our mind is functioning around this experience that we had as a victim and the emotions we've had as a result of that experience and the success, failures, depression, anxiety, and all the other things that are going on currently in our life feelings of unworthiness. We need to look at all those and say, what can we do to, to change this conversation that we're having in our mind, our own mind? What, what can we do to change the self-talk? Not only the self-talk, but also the conversations we're having with other people. I think the first thing we need to do is, is we need to stop blaming. And we've talked about that quite a bit, but I can't underestimate that enough. 
blaming themselves. Stop beating yourself up. I I was beating myself up for years and years, like you say, decades, until I finally realized that I need to stop blaming myself and stop blaming others. And the other things, the second thing that victims, the perpetual victim can do is they need to stop being an excuse maker. You need to stop making excuses for everything that happens because you want to take personal responsibility for everything that happens. And when you can do that, then you can stop justifying your lament. We'd sit there and say, yes, we were raped. Yes, we were a victim. Yes, we were this. Yes, we were that. But as long as we continue to justify our lament, we're going to stay stuck. So we need to stop beginning our our sentences with excuse-making stems. Stems are the one or two words that we use at the beginning of a sentence that causes us to say what we say or begin to, to uh, set a set the tone for what we're about to say. So th- these are stems that we need to change. If only. I wish that. I can't. I should. They should. These are stems that we need to start getting rid of in our life and not use them. The third thing we need to do is reframe uh, your personal history. Uh, you know, what was true back when I was a teenager, shortly after Brian's death, is not true today. And so we need, we need to go back and look at that and say, you know, everyone was doing the best they could with the prevailing awareness they had at the time. I was doing the best I could. Brian was doing the best he could. My dad and my mom were all doing the best we could at the prevailing awareness we had at the time. And uh, and we need to stop letting others frame us as victims because that's what codependent relationships do. They keep framing us as victims, and it's hard for us to see ourselves out of it in a different frame. So kudos to Grant for challenging you. You said before he yes. challenged you when you... We're talking about your old. Yeah, I, I like that word reframe. Yeah, I, I, I hear that word sometimes, and I think that. Uh, uh, so, but you were talking in the present. You were you were talking about how you felt then. Yes. And he challenged you and said, "Wait, wait! I thought you reframed that already." Yes. And you said, "I, I have." Yeah. But you don't forget where you were. But you can still remember fifty years ago the emotion of back then. You don't forget it. And, and if you don't. Re- Reframe it. Yeah. Then you're stuck. That's right. And and I can celebrate the fact that I so feel so different about it today than I did then. When I when I think about the way I think about it today in my reframe state, I put a it puts a smile on my face. Because when I thought about it back then, it put sadness on my face, but it doesn't anymore. When I thought about it back then, it made me feel unlovable. I don't feel unlovable now. I'm the most lovable guy I know. Oh, is that right? <laughs> oh boy, it's just you and me in the room right now. So, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> so, but and you know, I can laugh about it. I put a smile on my face because there was a time when that it wasn't the case. In in this time, it is, and that's important to recognize. That's what a reframe is. Yes, yes, it's putting a different type of outlook on. And the same situation, right. you know, the situation, the facts of the situations are the facts of the situation. 
but how we respond to it, you know. I feel like this isn't just finding the silver lining. It's bigger than that. No, it's not. A a full reframe is bigger than just looking on the bright side. Because you know why, Brian? Because I think the silver lining is a different thing. See, what I had to do in order for me to get to this place where I can reframe it, I had to forgive myself. And that was the fourth thing that perpetual victims need to look at, is they have to forgive. They have to forgive their perpetrator. They have to forgive themselves. They may have to forgive their parents. They may have to forgive society. They may have to forgive God. As long as you are unable and unwilling to forgive, forgiveness Unforgiveness, excuse me, holds you in bondage for a lifetime. As long as you are unable or unwilling to forgive, that unforgiveness will hold you in bondage. So are you going to stay in bondage for a lifetime? And it's a choice. Well, you make that sound so easy. Oh, no. Or maybe I'm saying you, 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 you say it and it's easier said than done. It is easier said than done. However, when you experience the joy after the fact, after you've done it, it's easy to be joyful and joyous in the eyes of others. And they can then see and say, what happened to you? What has changed? And nine times out of ten, it's their ability to forgive somebody they haven't been able to forgive. Is the most freeing thing that you almost could do in life is is to have that forgiveness. Whether it's the forgiveness of yourself, for me it was forgiveness of myself. For another person, it's forgiveness of another person that hurt them. Sometimes it's even the forgiveness of God. But in some yeah. way, you and you know only you know what that is, and you only you know what that forgiveness is. It isn't forgive and forget. A lot of people say forgive and forget. Uh Uh-uh. No, I don't believe in that at all. Forgive and remember. Mm. And forgive and pass it on. Mm. Because it's a gift. Once you have forgiveness, it's a gift. And it's a gift you can share with others. For me, my forgiveness, I have been on a commission to give that gift away again and again. And, and again and again and that's what is so fulfilling about that and that's what I say to you you know success is one thing but true success is something different true success comes in part to being able to forgive and uh, and I think that's what's so important so the tragedy of them that made you a victim I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me or anybody else. Right. The tragedy that made you a victim in the first place. You're saying that that you have the ability to respond to that. And chief among those responses to get out of the fetters of victimization and the anger around that is to forgive the situation, the perpetrator, 
we've talked about this a little bit. Oh, Would yeah. you have been able to do that if you didn't? There's certain people in your life, right? Yes. If those people hadn't taught you forgiveness, how much longer do you think it would have taken? You think you'd still be stuck? You know, uh, yes and no. I spent a lot of time feeling I was unworthy of that experience. I was unworthy of forgiveness. That was why it took so long for me. Because uh, I just felt I wasn't worthy of it. Who who were some of your who were some of the people that were there for you that helped you realize that you were worthy of forgiveness and they and they helped you to forgive? Well, certainly my sister Gail was. You know, she was my older sister, and she saw my pain, and she had pain as well. And I think she had a commission that was to figure that out and then bring me along with her as she figured it out. And so many times we would go to events, and she'd ask me to go to support her in going, to uh, experience the experience of the experience so we could talk about it afterwards that we could then process because our similar personal histories are so similar mm-hmm. that uh, we could process it in a way that uh, I felt safe and she felt safe. And uh, there was other people I could not do that with because they would shut it down, not want to talk about it, be judgmental. One of the things that went with my sister Gail is she was never judgmental about that, those experiences. You know, some people might have said that she was judgmental in some other ways, which I'm judgmental in ways too, and I can see where she said judgmental in ways as well. But she wasn't judgmental about that, Mm. about forgiveness. And because I think it was something that she struggled with as well. So having a person who's willing to go through that pathway with you with the, the desire to have it be different, the desire to have the pain and suffering go away. We both knew we needed to respond differently. We just didn't know how. And uh, it took a while for us to do that. And uh, so... What would you say to someone who feels like they don't have that person? They just need to start having that conversation. Like- got to find that they, they just need to step be to be vulnerable have and i was vulnerable i mean uh i would go to a weekend program sometimes and and uh and uh i people would start asking questions about things in their personal history and stuff and i i was one of the first ones to raise my hand and talk start talking about some things because i wanted to figure it out where other people would not want to talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. They were the in the closet kind of people. I spent a lot of time with keeping my feelings in the closet, how I didn't want them to come out, how I hit them. I didn't want to talk about them. And I would tell people, you don't, I would look at them in the eyes and say, you don't want to talk about something you know nothing about. Mm-hmm. So you need to just keep quiet about it. 
when I'm ready, I'll come to you and talk to you about it. I mean, I've said that to a few people with that kind of intensity. Mm-hmm. And they didn't like it. And a couple of times they would say something like me, well, I care about this too, and I care about you too, and I want it to be different for you. Mind your own business. That's how intense it was for me. So I'm not saying this is easy, Brian. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's not. However, if you could find people who don't support you, are not willing to be in codependent relationships with you, codependent relationships with you, like my sister Gail, that helps a lot. You're not going to find, when you go to a therapist, you're not going to find a codependent cohort in your therapist. A good therapist is really going to They're going to help you process Challenge you to yeah. reframe. Absolutely. And stop playing the victim. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, there's people out there to help you. It's not, it isn't that you don't have to just do it on your own. Right. And, uh, but unless you recognize your, the damage to your unforgiving heart, unless you recognize that, why would you ever go to a therapist? And, and so most people don't. And they stay in their perpetual victimhood for a lifetime. It requires you being responsible to how you respond. Being responsible, taking personal responsibility and saying, I have some responsibility here. And I need to do something about it, which might be going to talk to a therapist. Do you ever not have the ability to respond? You always have the ability to you respond. You always have the ability. You always have the ability to respond. You may think you don't, but you always do. You know, I... You know, I think one of the other things that happens, too, is you need to be cautious about wanting something for somebody else if they don't want it for themselves. If they don't want it for themselves, it's very, very difficult for you to break through that barrier. Uh, I didn't want it for myself. Even though people were willing to have that conversation with me, I didn't want it. and It took a long time uh, for me to figure that out. And I heard a lot of people along the way. And uh, so uh, you have to be cautious about that. I get that. You know, I think the other thing, too, is that sometimes all we know, you know, if we were raised in a family where victimhood was very much a part of our family of origin, where our dad was a victim, my mom was a victim, you know, and just all the conversations you had around the dinner table were victimhood conversations a lot. A lot of blaming, a lot of excuses, a lot of uh, criticism, a lot of complaining. If you were had a, a family of origin that had those kinds of conversations, it's 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 difficult to break your victimhood uh, mindset uh, because of it's an, you inherited it through your forefathers and through your parents and through your lineage, and so you you, you know. That's another thing that makes it difficult sometimes for us to to break through the pattern. Uh, I think if you have if you're blessed to have a sibling, uh, to begin to have that conversation with your sibling about your heritage, about your inheritance, about what did it ever bother you? Uh, say to your sibling, did it ever bother you that our, our parents just constantly were blaming each other and everybody else? And then, you know, I mean, it's like I. We grew up with a blaming environment, an excuse-making environment. And so that's all I've been doing for the last 20 years. Well, you know, 
why did we why do we fall victim to that situation and just have that conversation it's like exposing the elephant in the room mm. you know it's like let's start talking about it um i you know i i think this elephant in the room that 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 um we refer to you know the title of my book ride the elephant is basically dealing with the metaphor the elephant in the room that we all struggle with this elephant in the room in the victim mindset is huge huge and most of us spend our life justifying it and feeling we have every right to feel that way and uh and if you don't understand it i don't want anything to do with you and i was going to say something else but i don't want anything to do with you and that's the problem with it is um we 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 it can be so strong that um we just let it continue to get in our way do you have any experiences about that and thoughts you want to add um i i feel like i've been there um and i've spent a lot of time like i think a lot of people have uh covering up these deep emotions with rapture experiences of rapture i really like live music for example i like a good movie it kind of distracts me from the pain um but i i find that in certain uh there's been times in my life where i i really enjoyed uh facing the elephant in the room actually as difficult as it is it's very freeing and liberating to try on forgiveness and sometimes forgiveness doesn't stick i got to wake up the next day and engage For some sure. internal dialogue saying well yeah that's how you felt before but remember Brian you told yourself you're forgiving you're going to forgive this for sure. I think it's important to recognize the need to have forgiveness in your heart. You know, there's there's so many um, uh, studies out there about the damage and effects to our health because we're unable to forgive. Mm-hmm. I would encourage the reader to just go to Mayo Clinic or John Hopkins Medical on the website and just put in the effects of unforgi- the effects of unforgiveness. And they'll they'll be appalled by some of the health issues that are, will happen to us as a result of uh, our unforgiveness. So this is a journey, Brian, and uh, the journey is riding the elephant. Um, and I've and I would encourage all of you to take this journey on. And join us next week for our next podcast, Ride the Elephant Today. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Doc. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. 
Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week.